Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Tanzina Vega on The Takeaway and we're with you from Miami all this week at WLRN. On Monday, we took a look at how the city's infrastructure is adapting to combat sea level rise. But Miami's architects aren't the only ones grappling with climate change. Over the last few years, philanthropic groups like the Miami Foundation have shifted their missions to focus more on sustainability. And our trip here to Miami was actually made possible in part by the Miami Foundation. So I sat down with Javier Alberto Soto, who's the president and CEO of the Miami Foundation, to learn more about what his organization is doing and how they plan to address our changing world. The main program that we have at the Miami Foundation right now that we're helping to steward and manage is the 100 Resilient Cities Project. So this was born out of Rockefeller Foundation. Um, They've selected now 100 cities around the world to work on resilience through the lens of that community. So resilience in Miami is going to be different from resilience in Medellin or in anywhere else in the planet that doesn't have the unique characteristics that Miami does. So here in Miami, we got into this space through the sea level rise issue. That's frankly the the door that we walked into to have the resilience conversation. Uh, you know, we know that, that resilience is defined much more broadly than that. So in Miami, that also involves issues of income disparity issues of affordability and housing, issues of transportation solutions. We have several things that stand in our path to creating a resilient Miami above and beyond the sea level rise issue. The 100 Resilient Cities Coalition is looking for solutions on all of those fronts. Is sea level rise, I mean, we just saw yesterday, uh, you know, my team and I went out to Biscayne Bay and we saw how parts of that, uh, of a park had been literally raised above ground to deal with this. How possible is that going forward? I mean, when you think about Miami in 10, 20 years, is that the solution? I think we've got to look at this as short, medium, and long-term solutions. And I think some of the things that you're describing that you've you've seen here in Miami, are, I would put in the short-term bucket um, because sea level rise is happening today in Miami. This is not some theoretical, what's the world going to look like in 30, 40 years discussion here in Miami. This is flooding on a sunny day in Miami Beach, which interrupts commerce, interrupts traffic, interrupts daily lives. So we've got to find solutions today, but I think we also have to work on those longer term solutions that go above just raising sidewalks and streets. And are you all in touch at all with um, policymakers on this to try, because it seems like there's what, you know, certain localities can do and municipalities and the foundation, but this also requires some sort of federal oversight or state oversight, no? Right now, frankly, we're focused with our partners in county and city government, um, particularly the mayors of Miami-Dade County, City of Miami, Miami Beach, to come up with sea level rise adaptation strategies locally that involve some of the infrastructure improvements that you've talked about, but also may involve some land use and regulatory changes um, so that we learn how to live with water in Miami in a way that is resilient and sustainable over the long haul. And are you seeing that on both sides of the political spectrum, if you will, or is there bipartisan support here? 
in the state for this type of resiliency? So I'm only going to talk about it from our corner of the state. And and I would say that, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a bipartisan issue. If your shoes are wet, you don't care if people are Republicans or Democrats that caused it. You want to know who's going to fix it. So, yeah, I would say that there's absolutely a bipartisan approach to this. Certainly the mayors that are around the table at the 100 Resilient Cities um, coalition meetings are of both parties. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely a not only bipartisan, but I, I would say completely irrelevant of party approach to, to this issue, which is uniquely local for us. Javier Alberto Soto is president and CEO of the Miami Foundation. Javier, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Ed Jimenez. I live on a barrier island in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And climate change is alive and well here. My neighborhood, beach, road, sidewalk, all washed away. It's, uh, it's happening here. From resilience now to education, Caroline Lewis is the founder and executive director of the Clio Institute, a nonpartisan climate change education and advocacy organization based in Miami. And she says climate change literacy has to come before everything else. It is difficult for most people to connect the dots between fossil fuels and the use of oil, coal and gas and all the climate disruptions that makes the headlines in the news, like sea level rise and saltwater intrusion and heat and health changes. So the literacy that we are trying to promote is so that people understand the causes as well as the effects. Going forward in the future, you don't want to prevent, you want this to happen again and again, because it seems like there's a temporary state of understanding here, um, at least among, you know, a lot of Americans that this isn't as serious as it is. Yeah, and I hear things a lot like, well, we're adapting, we're raising the roads, we're building green infrastructure, and we're looking at our risk assessment. Well, you really can't project risk if you don't fully understand the causes, because if we don't mitigate and slow down the rate at which oil, coal and gas is used, we're going to continue heating up, we're going to continue having saltwater intrusion, and then the scale of what we're trying to fix amplifies beyond our readiness to adapt to it. And so where do you see hope and possibility? Education is definitely an ongoing hope of mine. I'm a science teacher and high school principal by trade. So I do believe that if you can connect the dots, you can become a more informed advocate. But my biggest hope is that the most vulnerable populations understand how to advocate in their own interest and that elected officials and business leaders come to the table with that equity lens to understand that if we don't create a place where we have a workforce, we don't have an economy. My hope lies in educating the entire population about the degree the sheer enormous size of the vulnerable populations here, those without safety nets, so that as we are becoming resilient and talking about resilience, that equity lens is well developed. I also would love every elected official who denies climate change to be vulnerable for every election that they run for. That would only happen with political power, huh? Exactly. But also encouraging people to run for office has been an important part of the solutions. When people say, what can I do? We say, run for office. We say, vote. We stay stay in touch, become informed, become a speaker in the area. Do you all work with politicians to try and get them to force some sort of change or some sort of oversight that might protect the people that we're talking about? 
Absolutely. So the Clio Institute believes that we're going to solve this problem bottom up and top down simultaneously. So we have mayors roundtables where we convene mayors from the municipalities in the area, some who get it and some who don't, and we have them share ideas on climate action planning. We have elected officials who reach out to us for a climate one-on-one training before they run, and some who reach out to us right after they're elected, which is a good sign. I think business leaders, are much, many, many of them, are more interested in doing a little lunch and learn, an understanding. We still have quite a few who don't want to hear about it, who think it's a Chinese hoax and it's definitely not man-made. It's, it's folly. And I worry about this a lot. I am telling you, I used to be a lot more hopeful that education could change behavior, but I'm not so sure. It's going to need that political and economic will. And perhaps the fact that wind turbines and solar panels are becoming much more competitive economically will be the turning point where people who are investors see the incredible potential that renewable energy brings to their portfolios and that we move in that direction. The best quote I ever heard was to remind everybody that we did not leave the Stone Age because we ran out of stones. So we must leave the fossil fuel age long before we've used every drop of oil, coal, and gas. Caroline Lewis is the founder and executive director of the Clio Institute. Caroline, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure.